Hey, welcome to the brand new Faith and Coffee Brewcast Season 1, Episode 1. Whether you're driving, sitting, and enjoying a cup of coffee, or whatever you're doing, I'm glad you're here. Faith and Coffee is about issues of faith in the everyday. I'm Eric Letterman, pastor at University Presbyterian Church in Tempe, Arizona. Welcome to this inaugural episode of the Faith and Coffee Brewcast. You know, I've been blogging for years, and to be honest, I just have not been able to be all that consistent. I had a good run early in 2020 until COVID-19 came upon us, and my life seemingly overnight turned into me becoming a, a producer, director, camera operator, sound technician, and editor for our Sunday morning worship. Who knew? that as a pastor, I would become a producer of worship videos. (laughs) Now, I've had a lot of experience in video over the years, and and I even dipped my toe into vlogging, you know, video blogging for uh, at least a little while. But honestly, the recording and editing, even just a five or 10 minute video, as much fun as it was, it just took way more time than I had to give. But with this new Faith and Coffee Brewcast, the recording is a lot easier. No lights or cameras, just a microphone and a computer. Nice and simple. On top of that, the editing is a whole lot easier. And I still get to enjoy a good, rich cup of coffee and talk about things that at least I find interesting. And I hope you will find interesting and worth listening to. And an added benefit is that you don't have to look at my ugly mug on a screen. (laughs) And now you can listen from anywhere while you're doing just about anything, vacuuming, doing the dishes, whatever it is you do during the day. So take a mini Sabbath from your current obsessions over the, the same news that was reported last hour or from binge watching Netflix or Amazon Prime or Hulu or whatever service to which you subscribe that is helping you pass the time while you're stuck at home and your favorite shows are currently no longer in production. So plug in some earphones, listen, and just allow your mind to wander a bit and reflect on the reality of God's presence in your life. And maybe maybe make yourself a nice cup of rich, dark coffee or or whatever drink feels appropriate given the time of day and where you are when you're listening to this. And I thank you for joining me on this uh, brewcast journey And I look forward to just seeing where it might go. I'm actually excited. I'm excited about this foray into uh, sound exclusivity. And and I really hope it'll be fruitful for you and for others and for me. If you've been following the Faith and Coffee blog, you, you may have noticed an abrupt silence as the mayhem of COVID-19 took over many of our lives. However, in the past few weeks uh, of self-quarantine and the craziness of trying to produce worship experiences for Palm Sunday, Monday, Thursday, and Easter, all at the same time, I have been trying to make intentional space to write again. Uh, writing for me is a, it's a special, and to be honest, kind of a, a holy experience. 
I, I write a lot usually, and most of the stuff that I write never gets published, but I also do stuff for work, obviously sermons, articles for church and thousands of emails each week. But one reason I, I started this whole blog, however many years ago that was, is that I had ideas that I didn't seem to have a good place to share them. I, I don't always get to just write about what's on my mind. And I, and I love actually talking to people, learning their stories, gleaning wisdom from them. As is the case, I, I, I think for most writing and random ideas, they really aren't so random. They're, they're almost always sparked by someone else's experiences, someone else's thoughts that were inspired by someone else's experiences and thoughts that were inspired by someone else's experience is on thought. Yeah, you get the idea. Writing for me is kind of a, it's a cathartic event, but it's a nice way to kind of be sparked by some inspiration and then let my mind go. Uh, it actually helps me clear my mind uh, sometimes to, to get the things out and in a space where I can see them and reflect on them and release them actually from <laughs> obsessing over them because they're, they're stuck in my head or because I'm so afraid to lose them. Uh, that I can't think of anything else. So I write them down and now I'm, I'm, it's nice. I'm, I'm back into writing again. And now with the whole faith and coffee brewcast, uh, a whole lot of ad libbing my random thoughts into what I hope will be some kind of cohesive order out of chaos moment that might, I don't know, spark some ideas for you and you get to be witness to it all. Uh, and, and maybe be inspired uh, yourself by whatever it is uh, that I that I have to share or one of my guests might have to share. You can also be an active part of it, though. Uh, and I encourage you to send in your own thoughts, send in your comments, reflections or questions uh, so, so that we can have some exchange. And this isn't just about me spewing whatever nonsense into the world aimlessly. So I encourage you to send in your comments or questions. You can send them to Eric, E-R-I-C, at faithandcoffee.com. Com and the word and is spelled out. So faithandcoffee.com, one word. Um, in the coming weeks, you'll be hearing from uh, some of the folks who have agreed to come on my little fledgling podcast to share in the chaos, uh, the chaotic mindfulness. Maybe that's a good word. Chaotic mindfulness. That is faith and coffee. And I really look forward to hearing uh, what you think. I've been curious uh, recently about how churches have been responding to our present situation, hunkering down in our, in our home bunkers, uh, waiting the day when we can emerge and the invading coronavirus from space or wherever it came from has finally died off and we can finally breathe relatively clean air for the first time in over a century because most people aren't driving and factories have shut down and suddenly the air starts clearing up. I don't know if you've seen the maps. Have you seen the maps online that show the dramatic change? Uh, these are satellite images of the dramatic change in pollution over major metropolitan areas from December or January uh, to March and even today in April. The, these bright blue and pink clouds have suddenly just dissipated into near nothing in just a few short months. And that is raising all kinds of questions about how how quickly the earth could actually heal itself if we were to change how we live. Just imagine if in just a few years that it the technology we know exists already, but for cross industrial and political reasons has not yet come to market were to actually be implemented, increasing gas mileage in cars or 
eliminating our dependence on oil entirely with alternative energy for homes as well as vehicles and shifting our entire economy to a more sustainable economy. Just imagine. And the question is, why is this so important? Well, not only for our health and for the planet's health, but as Christians, we are called to be stewards. Unfortunately, some translations of scriptures talk about dominion over the earth, but we are actually called to be stewards of all that God has created, which includes the earth and each other. When we care for the earth, when we when we take the time to do what's right and not just what is economical or what is going to make us money, we are caring for one another at the same time because our health and well-being is so intricately tied to the well-being of the earth and each other's health. And a question I have in the midst of everything that's happening is, what will this look like when it's all over? And, and I think that's a question that a lot of people are, are asking. Um, so the session at my church session, that's Presby talk for church board of elders. Uh, they ha- recently had this exact same conversation, or at least they, they started the conversation and there's no way to really know what will be different. We don't even know when this will be all over, but some of my elders believe that things will never be the same after this that things, this is changing us forever. Uh, The blogosphere is being inundated with posts about exposing the myth of self-reliance. Over and over again, I'm reading theologians and philosopher types pontificating about the fact that we have drunk the Western Kool-Aid and come to believe we can and are independent creatures. But the truth is, we are social creatures and we need connection. And this whole social isolation thing is bringing all of that to the surface. We build communities and societies so we can share the load of caring for one another, especially when things get tough. But the word myth is not helpful. Myth usually refers to not not necessarily a falsehood, but something that speaks to a larger truth. Though the story itself being told may not be factual, It is true in the sense that it speaks to a larger reality. I always use uh, Paul Bunyan as a good example. There was no man who was 30 feet or 50 feet or however tall he was with a big blue ox named Babe who could fell 20 trees with a single swing of his axe. That the man did not exist. Well, at least not in that form. But the myth of Paul Bunyan speaks to the larger truth of people's belief in the value of westward expansion in North America. Uh, in the early days of our of our country, as well as the, the the devastating beliefs in manifest destiny, which was an extension of the 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 church's doctrine of a discovery that put Western European culture as supreme over all others, and therefore all others are inferior, which meant that a place in the world was not truly discovered or established until a white-skinned man, usually, set foot on it and declared it discovered in the name of whoever their financial patron happened to be, usually a, a, a king or maybe a queen. The myth of independence speaks to a misguided belief that we don't need anyone else. Probably because sometimes people get disappointed or hurt when they do rely on others. So folks have come to believe it's just best to not not rely on others. The truth, however, is that we rely on others all the time. I don't know about you, 
but I don't have the expertise to work on my own cars with (laughs) so much of them run by computers that require very expensive diagnostic machines and practically master's degrees to figure out how they work. I rely on my mechanic to tell me what's wrong and to fix it. I don't make my own clothes. Some people do, and that's great, but I rely on manufacturers to be ethical and moral in how my clothes are made. But the truth is, I don't know. I don't know if they're being ethical. And in a lot of situations, there's no way for me to know because they go through so many hands before they get into my closet or on my body. Um, I don't know where they came from or, or who made them or whether or not those workers were paid a, a fair wage. And the list goes on. I, I didn't build my own house. I, I did not process the wood that created the studs and the joists. I, I did not pave the roads that I drive on and that save me all kinds of money on gas mileage and allow me to go faster than, say, 25 miles an hour like we might on a dirt road or even slower if there were no roads at all. You get the point. So part of me kind of hopes that things will not be the same. I'm not sure I want things to be the same. I'm thinking we should be changed by this whole experience. For one, I, I hope we can finally drop the fairy tale of our presumed independence. We are all much more connected and dependent on one another than Many of us have have been led to believe by by advertisers, businesses, and most disappointedly by our elected leaders. We are more interconnected and affected by one another's behavior for good or bad than we are often willing to admit. For a nation and culture that values above all else our independence, our interdependence is a tough reality to accept. And... I actually understand that. I was raised on the independence fairy tale, and it has been jarring for me to realize, and I too often still don't behave from this foundation of interdependence. That is, until someone does something that hurts or bothers me, and suddenly I want to hold them accountable, but maybe they're not playing by the same rules as me. But look at what's happening in our communities right now. Businesses and shops are shutting down, which means they can't pay their employees, which means employees are being left in limbo or having to uh, apply for unemployment, also known as unemployment. And, And assuming they can get unemployment, it's only a portion usually of what they normally make. They're turning to the government. That is the representative of our broader community. And they're turning to it for help. That means really they are looking to all of us, the rest of us who really make up the government. They're looking to us for help because we're the ones that support the systems that give them the help that they need. It just it just happens to be through the government, which is how a government should work. Right. Some leaders in our government are trying to step in with some stopgap measures while a a few thousand dollars is nice. I'm glad to receive it. It's helpful, but it's a stopgap and it's not going to get a lot of people very far if this pandemic goes on for too long. Maybe it needs to be more selective and more targeted and bigger to really help people out in the long run who are really suffering from all this. What gives me hope, though, is that through social media and neighborhood apps like Nextdoor, people are connecting in ways I don't think they have before. 
people generously and openly trying to meet the needs of others. Toilet paper being one of them. I I saw one post in a Facebook neighborhood group. It was a private group and and somebody typed in, uh, posted, hey, I have 24 rolls of TP here and, and, and it's just me and my wife. I can give away 12. Let me know and I can drop them off at your door. Imagine people offering to take care of, of neighbors' yards who are elderly and are afraid to go outside. One woman was offering to pay anyone to pull her weeds, but three neighbors stepped up and said, well, we'll do it for free. And afterward, they posted pictures in reply to her original post so she could see without having to come outside. They also trimmed her bushes and, and they even swept the front porch. Friends, this is what real true humanity looks like. This is what mutual care and compassion look like. This is what love looks like. Random strangers, well, random neighbors, being seeing a need and, and, and stepping up to respond out of pure compassion. And this is exactly what Jesus was trying to teach his friends and his neighbors. This is what he was trying to get the religious leaders to see who were abusing their power to really save their own butts against the Roman Empire at the expense of the well-being of their own people. They may have been trying to protect their people, I think, at the beginning when they were colluding with the empire, but it certainly didn't continue in that vein. So my session took action to suspend all non-humanitarian in-person church-related activities as of March 12th, which included worship that Sunday, March 15th, Looking at the timeline for the spread of the coronavirus, I'm realizing now just how incredibly late in the game that was. But we could only take action based on information that we had received. We were not being given the information we needed from the people who had the inside track on what was happening, namely our government leaders. That is what government does or is supposed to do. They are responsible for tracking these kinds of threats and letting us know when something is coming so we can try to prepare and respond as best we can. Some of the news outlets were trying to warn us, but without elected leaders taking the lead, we were behind from the start. Before we even started, we were way behind, left in the wind. In fact, when we made our decision at my church, we were still being told by both local and national leaders that this will all soon be over. Nothing to worry about. We didn't have any services that Sunday, so I sent an email to the congregation instead, just in lieu, just to say, hey, we're doing, we're, we're in this together. The following Sundays, I created an online virtual worship experience, basically a, a pre-recorded uh, and edited video that people could watch and engage, which uh, I and a few others from church led people through liturgy, through prayer, song, scripture, all in an effort to remind us of our centering point and that we were in this together to remind us all that we are still connected, even in our physical separation. Just because we are physically separated does not mean we have to be isolated. I tried to make it as intimate and personal as I could, given that it was a video, which can honestly be pretty impersonal or kind of just humdrum. But people, I, I was overwhelmed. People really actually loved it. And they really felt what I was hoping to convey. 
that we are connected. They felt connected to the space, the sanctuary that they that they know and love, which I tried to help with by by, by doing mostly close ups and medium close ups. There's there's kinds of ways of making it feel intimate. No wide, no big wide shots, no shots of empty pews. I wanted people to feel like they were the ones that were filling the pews from wherever they were sitting at a desk at home or on the couch or wherever they happen to be. And, and then I added a few more normal worship elements the following week. And for Palm Sunday, we tried a, a semi-virtual choir and, and, well, it turned out to be a quartet. But, but it actually worked pretty well, better than I anticipated. Uh, and if you want to go see those videos, you can actually go see them. Go to www.upctempe.org YouTube. That's U, P is in Paul, C is in Charlie, T is in Tom, E is in Edward, M is in Mary, P is in Paul again, E is in Edward.org slash YouTube. Unfortunately, while writing, recording, and editing Palm Sunday, I was also writing, recording, and beginning to edit Monday, Thursday, and Easter all at the same time. And unfortunately, keeping all my camera and sound files straight turned out to be a, well, quite the daunting task, let's say. And I, I flubbed it several times as I was transferring files from SD cards to my hard drive, putting them in the wrong folder, thinking they were one thing or I was renaming them. So I knew what they were, but it turned out to be something else or for a different service. It was a call to worship, but it was for a different service. It was oh, the sorting task uh, took a lot longer than it should have, probably just because I, I wasn't as organized as I thought I was. Uh, I was also still at the same time leading meetings via Zoom, meeting with people one on one uh, in video chats, having coffee with people in video chat, which was fun and, and trying to do a lot of one one on one pastoral care phone calls and just checking in on people. Our deacons have been doing an amazing job, so they've taken a lot of that pressure off me. And I'm, I am so thankful for that. But needless to say, I, I think I have been logging about 70 hours per week the last several weeks without a day off. And, uh, that, that is not healthy. And, and you might guess it definitely took a toll on my body. I was mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and, and physically just exhausted by the time I, I posted the Easter worship video. The Tuesday night after Easter, I slept for a good 11 hours. Maybe not so much slept as passed out for 11 hours. It felt good and my body and my mind needed it more than I realized. And I woke up that morning, uh, just feeling that Wednesday morning, just really feeling good for the first time in a while. But as the weeks went by and in the midst of recording those services, many of us watched the number of infection cases just rise, just this huge steep curve that just pointed straight up. If you looked at the graphs, which was really in my mind, just an increase in testing, which means they were just finally diagnosing cases that were already existing, but had not yet been identified. And we watched, of course, in horror as the death toll rose also exponentially. And as more states and local governments started going into lockdown, I realized even recording the music with my my director of music and organist and a couple of volunteer singers was probably not not a good idea. And it became evident to me and a few of my leaders that no one, no one should really be meeting in person with anyone outside their immediate household under the circumstances, given what we had, given that we were not doing massive testing, given that we were not doing um, contact tracing on any grand scale. Uh, Samuel Jackson <laughs> put out a, a, a pretty funny video of him reading a very adult children's book about 
staying the blank home just stay the blank home and yes he does use an expletive there but i i do encourage you to look it up uh he he uses that expletive to make a point and it and i think it's in a way that only samuel jackson can pull it off don't watch it with your kids please don't watch it with your kids so easter was the last service actually that we recorded where i was in the same room with with a bunch of other people where anybody was in the same room uh mainly this the sanctuary um, but on Easter, we did another good experiment, which has led us into the following weeks, because the feeling is that this is going to be going on for, for a while now. I asked people in the congregation to record different parts of the service on their camera phones and and then just simply text the files to me. And you know what? It worked like a charm. Uh, and then all I had to do was was simply just edit those parts together. I I was mostly out of the filming business, except for, you know, for that week, it was except for the music and my part. And I, I, you know, I still feel like people need that visual connection with the sacred space in which we gather weekly normally. And that is our sanctuary. So I am still going to record my parts in our sanctuary so that people can get a sense of being in the space. One of my members had a brilliant idea of having one of the kids actually light a candle at home. So we have acolytes that light a Christ candle at the beginning of our service. Well, they light a few other candles and then they light a Christ candle that reminds us of the light of Christ that shines with us wherever we are, let alone when we worship together. So he had the idea of having one of the kids light a candle at home with a parent uh, video recording it. And then and then we zoom in and we blur into the Christ candle in the sanctuary miraculously. It's it's suddenly lit after this child has lit the candle at home. And it was an absolute brilliant idea. All I had to do was figure out the logistics. How would we actually make that happen? And I got to say, it turned out so awesome. Uh, so thanks to Larry for that idea. That was that was incredible. It And it reminds me that it truly takes a village even to virtually create a virtual worship experience. And uh, it's turned out pretty good. We're going to pare down the uh, things in the coming weeks. But I think our worship experiences are meeting a need and doing what they're intended to do with, with the new format. Now with even our, our music being recorded at home in the coming weeks, two things are happening that will help significantly lower my stress and my time, but also I think expand people's connection to what we're doing on Sunday mornings. First of all, I'm not having to spend so many hours recording. And secondly, and way more importantly, more people are 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 getting involved more people are involved in creating our worship which is oh my gosh such a blessing in itself but also people get to see more faces on sunday morning they get to see the community that i know they are missing so much we're also doing a live coffee and fellowship time after worship and and before our, our Sunday school class, our live Sunday school class, all of which is happening on Zoom. Uh, I've been using Zoom for years and, and I didn't even think to try and introduce it to the congregation because we all live here. So we don't really need Zoom, but it has turned out to be such an amazing tool. I know it's not the same as being together in person, especially for coffee and fellowship. It's not the same as shaking hands, hugging, seeing each other, patting each other on the back, whatever the case may be but it's meeting at least part of that need right now. At, at least we get to see each other. So some of my friends and colleagues have gone the live stream route for worship. And I totally get the draw of that. For one, when it's done, it's done. Just like a normal Sunday morning service. You go, you do your best. The mistakes you just work through and you just go. And when it's done, it's done. Uh, and, and the way I'm doing it, 
is requiring a whole lot more time recording, sometimes doing more than one take and an enormous amount of time editing. Some of that is also just my perfectionistic artistic tendencies when it comes to trying to make things visually appealing. I even have color coded production sheets and scripts. I know, I know it's nuts, but it's how I work. It's how I organize myself. And another added benefit to live streaming is that it allows for real time response to comments when people want to offer prayer requests with a pre-recorded service. We can do that through the live chat feature, but I get the attraction of being able to respond to them on screen, on camera. So live streaming has its advantages. I, I will definitely give it that. But my issue is that there are a lot of variables that must come together and work perfectly. Uh, with doing live stream. And when they don't, it's an absolute disaster. Too often I have watched the limitations of technology kind of get in the way of the worship experience. Too many of the live streams I watched, they just felt clunky. They felt distant. The, the cameras weren't set up in a way that made me feel like I was not only there, but I was with whoever is on screen. And, and a lot of times the video is kind of washed out and gray toned. Um, some of that's because of the lighting that they're, they're not bringing in extra lighting. Video requires a lot of extra lighting. And it just total was a total distraction to worshiping God together. At least it felt that way for me. I've worked really hard to try to not let the technology itself become a distraction to our worship. I have to, I have to say though, I love that people are trying new things and just they're putting something out there to bring the congregation together. And ultimately that is the important thing. Let's be honest. We each work to our strengths and we do what we can with what we have available. I don't think God is expecting any of us to go spend 10, $20,000 on, on all new streaming equipment to make it look professional. I already had a lot of my equipment. It did not cost $10,000, but I already had a lot of it, or at least most of it. I have had to buy a few things here and there to make certain parts of it easy uh, or easier, but, but I've really bought very little regardless of what my friends in ministry are doing they are offering that that little that nugget of connection for their congregations and they're offering a moment to remember and to lift up their family of faith while we all try to protect one another at the same time and most of all we are coming together to lift up and to give thanks and worship the God who draws us together to begin with. The one through whom, uh, who made uh, God's self available and, and visible through the one we call Jesus. This is the God that brings us together. And, and that is the gift that we can offer right now. When there's a whole lot of questions, there's a whole lot of doubts, there's a whole lot of fear, but we can still bring that center to people that, that, that sense of, of connection. And that is the reason I started faith and coffee so many years ago. And even though I, I'm not always consistent with it, that is why I've continued with it. And, and even when I'm not consistent and I might go months without a post, I continue with it. And, I, and, and, and it's why I've, I've wanted to try and do something a little more with, with either video blogging or this, this podcast, the brewcast. And this podcast is so much easier to do than the video blogging. So I encourage you to subscribe because in the coming weeks, uh, I've actually invited some friends and others to come on the brewcast, uh, to share virtually in a cup of coffee with me and to offer their perspectives of faith in the everyday, uh, especially these days. And I, I really hope you'll join us. 
in the meantime, friends, be of good courage and know that you are loved. The opinions expressed on the Faith and Coffee blog and brewcast do not and are not intended to represent the opinions or official positions of any of the organizations of which Eric Lutterman is a member, including University Presbyterian Church, the Presbytery of Grand Canyon, or the Presbyterian Church USA. They are entirely his own opinions. The Faith and Coffee Brewcast is a podcast about Christian faith and life in the everyday. Be sure to subscribe to our brewcast at brewcast.faithandcoffee.com or on iTunes. You can also subscribe to Faith and Coffee blog at faithandcoffee.com. Also, if you can, please click on that like button on iTunes or Facebook or wherever you find Faith and Coffee. Faith and Coffee is produced by Bad Coffee Productions, LLC in Chandler, Arizona. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.